Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at iCloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Aren't you thankful that it is that far and that deep and that wide? Amen. The love of Jesus. Well, I should have said yes and amen right there. I don't know if y'all dozed off on me right there. Hey, you know, today is Valentine's Day, right? And uh, what a date night. Uh, Look how many people decided to come out and uh, on Valentine's and worship the King of Kings, really the one who taught us what love is. Now, let me say this to you. Oftentimes, uh, holidays that mark a specific group or a specific thing can be wonderful. You agree with that statement? Uh, Mother's Day can be wonderful, and Father's Day can be wonderful, and Memorial Day, when you're memorializing uh, those that have served and lost their lives, and Veterans Day, those who are serving all the branches, and all those can be wonderful, but at the same time, sometimes those special holidays can be not so wonderful, right? They can be in a word, painful. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight? And so maybe you've come in tonight and and it feels as if, you know, I I just know like when it's Mother's Day and someone's here, a lady's here that wants to be a mother but has not yet been able to be a mother or is not going to have the opportunity to be a mother, uh, that can be painful when all you do is talk about mothers, right? And the same thing about fathers. And and when you talk about mothers, if if your mom has stepped into eternity, well, well, it just can be painful, can it? And so this one can be painful if you don't have a, another love of your life, right, that, that's here with you and, and, and by your side. And so maybe you're here tonight, and, and, and maybe it is that you came in tonight and you're feeling unloved or you're feeling lonely, okay? Now, how many of you in this room know that you can feel lonely in a room full of people? All right, let me, let me develop the question this way. How many of you have ever felt lonely before, even when people were all around. Raise your hand if you've ever felt that before. Uh-oh, hold your hand up high. Now look around. You thought you were the only one. And, and interestingly enough, the enemy oftentimes uses the thoughts in our mind to cause us to think that, hey, this thing I'm feeling is weird because there's people all around, but I feel so lonely, and I must be the only weirdo that's ever felt this way. But you're not. And remember, I tell you this, we're all weird. Weird just means different by design. And so tonight, you're here, and I'm going to say to you, that you are hopefully part of the family of God if you've been born again. And if you hadn't been, there's an opportunity tonight before we leave here that you can be part of the family of God. And I promise you something, Jesus will love you better than any man or woman will ever love you here on planet earth. Amen, he'll do it. Yeah, give him a little hand clap of prayer. He loves me so good. My grandmother used to say this. Uh, she, she, when she would tell you she'd love you, she'd say, I love you so good. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think about oftentimes, Jesus loves me so good. He loves me so good. Now, uh, before we dive into the outline, let me make sure that everybody has one, okay? So if you don't have an outline, would you raise your hand up? And we're going to have somebody come quickly get you one. Raise your hand. Wait a minute. Is everybody? Okay, we got just a few over here. <laughs> He's like, not everybody. We got about three uh, and a, a few up here. Wow, man, in the group this size to have just that few uh, thank you to our greeters and those that do such a wonderful job encouraging us, amen, and passing those out each week. And, and so, yeah, we, hey, clapping's a good thing, right? All right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and make your way to the book of Acts, okay, A-C-T-S, New Testament, and uh, I want you to find with me tonight chapter number 14, Acts chapter 14. Now, uh, we've, uh, before we've gone through the study of Luke and Acts before together, uh, if you've been here any number of, of time, any number of years, and we've done that verse by verse, chapter by chapter over the years, and so we sh- we're learning a little bit about that, and we learned that Acts is actually a second work, a second letter of a guy, an author, a uh, human author, given the words by the Holy Spirit, but the human author, do, do you know the, the, the name of the author of the book of Acts? Luke, and he had another work uh, that was also named after him, right? And it was also named Luke. And remember, the purpose of it was, uh, again, to Theophilus, and the purpose was proving what he had taught him about the life, the death, the teachings, the resurrection of Jesus in the gospel according to Luke. Now he has said, these are the actions 
of the apostles and those who have accepted Jesus or believed that good news gospel from Luke. Does that make sense? Uh, and so now he's talking about that in Acts chapter 14. And the title of the message tonight is two words, uh, better together. Better together. Now, somebody came in tonight, and you, you don't have a husband, you don't have a wife, you don't have a boyfriend, you say, well, here we go, better together. Um, but that's not the kind of together necessarily only that I'm talking about. Or maybe you're here, and your relationship is strained, and you're saying, man, I don't even want to think about Valentine's Day. Uh, that's all right. I pray that God would minister to your heart tonight uh, through this Acts chapter 14. We're going to begin together in verse number 19, okay? And we're going to read all the way down. You all ready for this? Through the whole end of the chapter, uh, verse number 28. So let me tell you a little bit about what's going on, okay, so that you have some context. Remember, context is king, right? And understanding scripture, context is king. So again, uh, Luke is recording the actions of the apostles, and there is one who has two names, all right? And his Hebrew name is Saul, and his name that he be known by the Romans or the Gentiles is Paul, uh, now, remember, you, a lot of times you may have heard that Jesus changed his name, but you don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Matter of fact, even after he's saved, you hear him referred to as Saul until his ministry changes from the Jews to the Gentiles, and that's when they began referring to him more by the Gentile or the, wrong, the name the Gentiles were known by, which is Paul. Look at you guys, man. Y'all going to be ready to teach before long, aren't you? And so tonight, what's happened, he's been born again. The Holy Ghost of God ran him down on the Damascus road, on the road to Damascus, and there he was, struck down by a bright light, and he gets born again. He calls him Lord. He calls Jesus Lord. And, and so he comes up from there and begins ministering and serving the Lord. Um, but what we find is that when a person gives their life to Christ, uh, there's a truth that we need to know, and I think sometimes we misrepresent, and that is uh, that sometimes we believe that if we'll just give our life to Jesus, everything is going to be lollipops and gumdrops, right? I mean, I mean, have you ever thought that way? Uh, how many of you, at least somewhere along the line, thought that way or heard it put that way? And so you thought, man, things, if I just give my life to Jesus, everything's going to be great. And then maybe you gave your life to Jesus and everything wasn't lollipops and gumdrops. And maybe it was before you ever spent any time in the scriptures. So you didn't realize that, that God allows suffering and even uses suffering and, and difficult things to shape and to mold. And we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. And so what's happened is, I want you to understand that he's surrendered his life to Jesus, and he's gone around preaching, and everywhere he preaches, he causes either a revival or a riot. And most of the time, both. There'd be a little bit of revival, and then a riot. <laughs> they would chase him out, try to kill him, okay? And so now, we find that in the early part of chapter 14, uh, Paul has, uh, God's used Paul to heal somebody. Some, the apostles have have healed in Jesus' name, and when they do, Barnabas and Paul, the people who see it all, begin to worship them. And they are, they, there's a, like a fever pitch, the crash of mob mentality, man, they're fired up because, because somebody was healed in their presence, and so they, they want to worship the ones who are healing, right? And so they call them, they put two names with them, two Greek gods, they call Barnabas Zeus, right? And they call, they call Paul Hermes. And, and so they, they're calling them Greek gods. And they're, listen, they're so excited by these two guys, they're convinced in their mind that they are gods. And so what do they do to, to what, what should a person do to a god? They ought to sacrifice something to show him what he's worth, make an offering to the gods and show him what they're worth. And that's what they try to do. And Paul is trying to calm them down. He says, hey, we're, we're men with a nature just like yours. Stop all that. I, I can almost hear Paul saying this. Hey, get up from there before you get us all in trouble. Uh, there's only one worthy of praise, and it ain't me, right? It's God. And so what happens next, uh, we're going to find that you can quickly go from hero to zero in your life, okay? Did you know that? Okay, let's find it. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? Do you have a little context of what's just happened? They've just, I'm telling you, they are heroes, man, and now we have verse 19. Let's see what happens. Verse 19, Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, <laughs> y'all help me out, and out of the city, supposing him to be dead. <laughs> wow. They, listen to me. Look up for a second. They went from worshiping them Fully con See, you don't, you don't sacrifice an animal or get ready to do that unless you're fully convinced. You they believed in their heart and mind. These two guys were gods. 
But just a few minutes later, they're now stoning them, stoning Paul to death. All right, dragged him outside the city. Some, some, some say half a mile minimum to a mile. He, they dragged him. All right, verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, where'd they gather? Around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. <clears throat> and then uh, after, or excuse me, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, y'all reading with me? Through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So it won't always be easy. Verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia and then came to Pamphylia, well, when they had preached the word in Perga and had gone down to Italia, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. <clears throat> now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to, uh-oh, the Gentiles, who were the Gentiles, any other nationality besides the Jew, okay? Uh, verse 28, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, remember, a disciple is a follower of the teaching of another. And, of course, in this context, a disciple is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, let's pause for just a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a minute? And, my goodness, it is so good to see all of y'all here on Wednesday night. Maybe you want to shout. All right, let's pray. God, I do thank you so much. It's amazing to me there's many people, Lord, in the middle of the week with all their busy schedules and out here in the middle of nowhere that you would stir in the hearts of people a hunger to seek you, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, oh God, because, well, Lord, it's not natural to us. It's natural to us to want to serve ourselves and get ahead in the week and I thank you there's no better way we could invest this time than to sit down now at your feet and be taught by you. Now, Lord, I pray in this moment, humbly ask that you would be the teacher. Your Holy Spirit would teach and preach through me tonight. And that, God, as you preach and teach through me, God, you prove to people that you can use anybody if you can use me. And, Father, as you do that, also please preach the word to my heart as well. Uh, turn our ears away from the opening doors and busyness and the things that drift our minds away. And Lord, may we be like little children, sitting down and being instructed and fed and nourished and encouraged and challenged by our daddy. So speak, Lord, from heaven, we're listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> now, again, on your notes, I have to be reminded tonight that you have notes, so you'll be able to listen fast tonight. Uh, because you don't have to do a whole lot of writing. Isn't that right? Yes? Okay, so if we read along together, I want to give you quickly the main idea of what we just read. Here it is. Followers of Christ are better <clears throat> together. All right? Followers of Christ are better together. You ever heard anybody say, well, I'm just a lone wolf. I like sitting by myself. I like being by myself. I, I, matter of fact, I have church in a deer stand all by myself. It's called the me church, Right? Now, church if, is, the, is the word in the New Testament, ecclesia, it means the called out ones, or, or it also means the called out or the assembly. Now, you can't assemble with yourself. The word assembly itself means that you're gathering with other people, okay? So, if the church is you and a deer stand, that's me church, that's not his church. Y'all, anybody still out there? Well, y'all get a little offended easy. And uh, I don't want you to be offended now. I want you to just let truth soak down into your spirit tonight, all right, and see what God will do. Okay, so here we go. Roman number one in your notes. Uh, we're talking tonight about followers of Christ are better together. Roman number one, look back in verse number 19 with me. <clears throat> Jot this down in your blank there, and let's talk about it for just a minute. Uh, difficulty in this journey is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Now, we, we exist, well, listen, we, we put out a lot of energy trying to avoid difficult things, don't we? Uh, we, 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 man, we, we wrestle. Matter of fact, uh, more of our prayer uh, are spent on asking God to get us out of difficult situations than they are, come on, y'all, than they are on any other thing. Lord, help me. Lord, take this pain out of my knee. Lord, help me with this situation. Lord, Lord. And it's all, a, think about it. 
most of our prayers are focused around something that's uncomfortable in our life. And so I just want you to think about that for just a minute, all right? Difficult, but here's what we need to know. Difficulty down here is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Now, now let's talk for just a second about why. Well, the number one reason is because those that are followers of Christ are part of the kingdom of God, okay? Now, you might jot this down there and your notes out to the side. This is a little bonus. Remember, kingdom is any place where the king has dominion, okay? What is a kingdom? Where a king has dominion. So if I'm part of the kingdom of God, that means that my heart is a place, it's a domain where the king, Jesus, has dominion. He's Lord. He's the director. He's not, he's the, he's not a co-pilot. He's the pilot. He's the engineer. He's everything, right? And so we, we find in, in, our, in, our, in our journey with Jesus that that he is the king of our lives, but we're, we're down here in a system that is opposed to him. You with me? And so, and so what he requires in his kingdom, the principles of his kingdom are going to be opposite of the principles of the kingdom in which we are presently residing. Anybody tracking with me? And so it's why the world intentionally calls the things that God says evil, the world calls them good, and what the, what the word calls good, the world calls evil or small-minded or judgmental. Uh, it's because there's these two kingdoms that, that, that collide down here on earth. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, if you don't believe it, you start living the principles of the Bible out loud in your workplace, at your school, wherever you are, and you watch how quickly you'll face opposition. You will. And, and as I was having a conversation today with one of my brothers, and we were talking about how you can say God, you can say Allah and Buddha, but when you narrow that thing down to the name above all names, the one name that make, can make you right with God, when you mention the name Jesus, you'll find out real quick that people are opposed to the name above all names, the world system, okay? So uh, difficulty is guaranteed. Look at verse 19. So Paul is in a place where God's used him. There's been a healing People are excited. They're, they're trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. Paul is trying to instruct them that that's the wrong thing to do. They're not worthy. And so they're going from one moment where the multitudes are just about to sacrifice to them to the next minute. Verse 19, they are stoning Paul. Have there ever been a situation that you've been a hero one minute and been a zero the next? Uh, what are some situations where you've been a hero zero? You ever been, a, you ever been the star of a game before? You scored the most runs, you made the most hits, you played the best, you made the first chair in the band, and then the next time it was time for performance, you struck out, or you fumbled the ball, or you played awful, you couldn't hit a note if you had to, and all of a sudden, you went from the star to, <laughs> you went from a hero to, to zero. Now, I know that's never happened in your marriage. I know that's never happened there, but, but it can. Well, listen to that. You hear that silence? Says it all, doesn't it? So we can go from hero to zero in our lives. We can. But here, specifically, he went from hero to zero. And in verse 19, talk about difficulty. What was Paul doing? He's preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all. He was just telling people they could be saved and they could be right with God. He was going around telling people they could have their sins forgiven. What good news. He was telling people that they could be healed in Jesus' name. They could have an eternal home with God the Father, that they could be judged innocent in God's court because of what Jesus had done for them. What good news. And he's going everywhere telling people. And what they did to him in return was stone him. And I want you to get the picture of that as they bounced rocks. Generally, there's a specific rock that I was talking to a rabbi once, and he was explaining to me that when they stoned in the Old Testament, uh, they would carefully survey the area to pick up uh, rocks that were, that were just right for stoning. And I said, what in the world? <laughs> what do you mean? He said, well, if you pick a rock that's too small, all it does is sting. It doesn't break the skin. You can just throw rocks at them all day long and it won't kill anybody. He said, if you pick a rock too big, it kills them quickly or you can't throw it very far and very hard. And he said, so they would intentionally uh, scour the area and pick out just the right size rocks so that the mob could bounce those off of Paul's forehead and face, knocking his teeth out, breaking his jaw, you know, hitting him in the chest and his arms and fingers, and, and they're bouncing them off of them, and he's falling to the ground, and they keep throwing and keep throwing, because, you know, there's moments where he's, 
still breathing a little bit, and they can see a little movement because, you know, you have all kind of muscle and nerve responses. And the Scripture says uh, they stoned him until they thought that he was dead, which means he had no movement. So you can just imagine the mob is there and they're bouncing rocks off and he's finally crumbled to a pile and yeah, there's still parts of him that are twitching and jumping and they're throwing more rocks at him and if he moves again, they throw him, they see, they think he's breathing, they bounce a couple more rocks off of him until finally, until finally, they're assured in their hearts and minds that he is dead. Can you imagine that being your reward for going and telling somebody about Jesus? Now, I would, I would, venture to say tonight that that might would be a good reason, okay, y'all tracking with me? I, I might venture tonight to say that that would be a good reason to slow you down from telling people at your workplace about Jesus. I might would venture to say, I could see that slowing me down a little bit. Anybody else honest enough to say, <clears throat> you can see it slowing you down a little bit? You know what that right there is? That little slow response? That's you realizing that you're not doing it now and you've never had a rock thrown at you. Did you feel it in the room? I felt it. Every heart individually, like sitting at the table with our daddy, and our daddy offered us this gift of salvation we didn't pay for. It was bought with blood, and we walk in victory, and our souls have been cleansed, and one thing he asked us to do was go make disciples, and we're not doing it. And we hear about Paul, and Paul's doing it, and they're stoning him, and he gets up, and he does it again. And so I asked the question, hey, if you were to be stoned, would it slow you down? And many of you said, oh, oh, wait a minute. I've never done it. I've never once obeyed Jesus and shared the gospel with somebody else. And that's a little bit painful in the moment, isn't it? Let's just sit here in this uncomfortableness for a second. Because too often we float along and we see big crowds and nice buildings, new carpet, and we get all excited. You know, we get to thinking, we're doing pretty good. But then we pause to think about the one thing he asked us to do. And we think about the percentage of us who are not doing it. Wow. That's a very uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? Here's a question I want you to wrestle with. I wonder what it would take for you tomorrow morning, first thing, to tell somebody about what Jesus Christ did for the whole wide world. I wonder what it would take. I wonder what would ever motivate you if not him giving his life, if not him chasing you down, if not him showing your sinful condition to you in such a way that you invited Jesus to be Lord, I wonder what, if not that, could ever motivate you from being the average, disobedient child of God. Something good to think about, isn't it? Somebody said, man, I went to Hickory Ridge and there's a great group of people and they got new carpet and the paint was on the walls and man, we all came in fired up and the preacher started off by telling us, we really hadn't done much if we're not doing the one thing that he asked us to do. So I feel as if I could just say amen and let's have an invitation, right? Like the question would be at that invitation, would you be willing to be obedient tomorrow morning, not waste one more day of your life, but to say, I'm, th I'm sick of being mediocre. I'm sick of living in disobedience. I've decided Jesus is worth it and I'm gonna risk it all tomorrow. And I may fumble through my words but I'm certainly going to get his name out there and I'm certainly going to mention the cross and I'm going to talk about the resurrection and if I don't get anything else right, I'm going to talk about what Jesus has done in my life. I'm talking about the day, that day in which I traded my sin and sorrow and I received a full unconditional pardon from God and I'm going to tell him about when I entered the family and I don't know everything now, but boy, I know for certain that I'm right with God and I'm one day I'm going to heaven and I know the Holy Spirit's in my life and he's leading me. Well, that's easy. It's not hard at all. Now let's get back to the text. Can we do that? Y'all thought I was going to give an invitation. We we're going to go, no, we got a little more to learn. All right, here we go. I'm having, hey, I love this word too much for us to disclose it here, all right? So difficulty is, so if you choose to be obedient in the morning, do you think it's going to be easy? 
No, you think everybody's going to get saved? Listen, I'm looking at hundreds of people. Look over here to my right, all the way back there. I mean, I don't know if y'all have looked around in a while, but man, while we were playing that first, second, third song, people were sneaking in every door. Look around there, all over here and all over there. Imagine if all of us go out and share the gospel. Let me say this to you. Not everybody is going to get saved tomorrow, but somebody will. And it could be your somebody. And somebody be snatched from the fires of hell and be right with God and have the peace that I have. Now, I mean, maybe you don't have it, but I'm telling you, there's a peace that's in my heart. And man, I'm so glad that my circumstances don't rock it. So he says, difficulty is, we find out difficulty is guaranteed. But we don't have to worry about this tomorrow. We don't have to worry about getting stoned for it. I'll make you a promise. You ready? I promise you they won't stone you to death if you do it in the morning. They won't. So take a deep breath. You don't have to be terribly afraid. You don't have to worry about facing what Paul faced. You'll just have to face yourself, the biggest giant in your life. And if you'll surrender to that to him in the morning, in time, in the word, and in prayer, I promise you'll be ready, and he'll put the words in your mouth. I can't wait to hear the testimony. By the way, that wasn't planned, and it wasn't in my notes. I love when the Holy Ghost puts a divine download on us. I'm expecting revival tomorrow. I can't wait to hear your testimonies. I really can't. All right, let me move on. So difficulty is guaranteed. Now, a couple of verses here. John 10, 10. It's in your notes, yes? Yes, I put that one in there. I couldn't remember if I did or not. John 10, 10. The thief does not, does not come but to steal, kill, and to destroy. I've come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, what's the point there? There's a thief. There's an enemy. He's actively working against us, okay? So there's gonna be opposition. There's gonna be difficulty. Nehemiah 6 and verse three, remember? They tried to get you to go to Ono. What is Ono? That's that plain. Remember that area away from the wall. What does he want you to do in Ono? Just consider another option other than obedience. Any other option, right? Like partial obedience or delayed obedience, right? But, but what God wants me to do is to be fully obedient. And so they'll, they want you to say, come on out here and let's talk about it and let's consider anything except for what God told you to do. And that's what they tried to do with the worker. But listen to what Nehemiah said. I'm doing a great work. I cannot, y'all reading with me? I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down and have a conversation like I have an option except to do what God called me to do? And so uh, I remind you, don't go to all know, all right? So question is, why does God allow difficulty? Have you ever scratched your head on that one? Me and three or four of y'all? I do every day. And even though I know the answer, I still, my flesh still wrestles with it. Anybody else can say that? You wrestle a little bit sometimes with difficulty? And so let's talk about a few reasons. This isn't exhaustive, but this is some of the reasons that God does allow difficulty. Number one, write it in your notes there, difficulty purifies our faith. The example in the parentheses is Job. What happens in Job? I won't tell you. You're going to have to go read this long book, <laughs> and you'll find out that Job is tested and he is allowed, the enemy, Satan, is allowed by God to test Job, and he loses all kinds of stuff. I won't tell you, it's an exciting book, y'all, to go read it. But in the end, well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's, let's just suffice to say, you need to go read it. Suffice to say, his faith is purified and stronger after all that he goes through. So, number one reason God allows difficulty is to purify our faith, like a refining fire. Wouldn't you say that? And so, in our lives, we want that faith pure fire of God to purify uh, that faith, all right? And so let me just read a little further along, all right? Verse number, or number two, if you will write this reason down, difficulty doesn't just purify our faith, but difficulty shapes our character to be more like Jesus. Who is it that God wants me and you to live like? Jesus. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, so the Christian life, listen to this, you'll learn this in the four priorities. If you're doing discipleship, and I pray that you are, we like to pair people one-to-one, -one, guy with a guy, gal with a gal, and we give you the books, the four priorities, and we, sh we share with you about how to do that. And so what you'll learn in that, the definition of the Christian life, the Christian life is the life of Christ, the nature of Christ, the character of Christ being reproduced in the believer, okay, over time by the power of the Holy Spirit through obedience to his word. That's the Christian life. And so it's a shaping, it's a continual growing, it's, a, it's the Holy Ghost and the Word of God and the church people, God's people, helping God, God using them to shape us, okay? Now let me give you a verse to go with it. James chapter one, actually a few, verses two through four. Listen to what James said, half-brother Jesus. My brethren, 
Count it all joy when you fall into, I still need the help of God to get there. Do you all agree with me? Sometimes I, I'm, sometimes I do. I struggle with saying, I'm so happy this is hard. I do. I, I do. I'm just being honest. But that's where I want to get. That, that's where I'm supposed to be. So, so I'm like you. I'm a work in progress. And I'm saying, God, help me to find. But now I've learned this. I've learned, I, I've learned more about trials because I've been through some and I've learned that God really is who he says he is. And I've learned through trial better than any other time in my life that God will be there for me and he'll we'll walk through it with me and he will do good things. Have you learned that? Like every hard thing in my life, I've learned God does something good through it. And that's just what I can see, what I can't see. Who knows? And so difficulty purifies our faith. But number two, difficulty shapes our character. Watch in James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? You know this. You know what? That the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. The work, isn't, that word work is a verb, it's action. So, so patience and trial is working. And the working I'm going to call it tonight is shaping or, or chiseling. Come on, somebody. Sometimes I'm, I'm not like clay. I, sometimes I'm not like moldable clay. I get hard like rock and the Lord has to chisel some edges off of me. Anybody else like that? In my, on my team, and uh, it's not a good team to be on some painful spots to find, right? But he lovingly chips those areas away, and he's going to keep doing that until I go home. He promised that he would begin and complete the good work in me, and I'm trusting him to do that, okay? So let me go a little further. He, testing of your faith produces patience. I'm back in James 1. Uh, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we are a work in progress, and part of the work that's progressing us is difficulty hard things. They shape us. Wouldn't you agree with me that you've been through some hard things that changed you? Even and when you let God for the better? Yes. All right. So number three, first difficulty purifies our faith. Number two, difficulty shapes our character and more like Jesus. Number three, difficulty leads us. Now this is, watch this right here. This is wonderful. Difficulty leads us to the end of ourselves so that we will draw near unto God. You know, the thing about mankind is that we're hard-headed. Did y'all know that about us? Now, women say men are hard-headed, and men say women are hard-headed, and the Bible says we're all hard-headed, right? And so we are. We're hard-headed, meaning that we are slow to change, even when the change is right, even when the change is from disobedience to obedience. It's why... Even though we touched on that, we know what I said in the beginning was true, still half of us will not share Jesus with somebody tomorrow. We're hard-headed. We, we, we can be comfortable in our disobedience sometimes. And, and so watch what he says here. <clears throat> I'm going I'm to read a couple of verses. Jonah chapter 2, verse number 7. Difficulty leads us to the end of ourselves, so we will draw near to God. Let me give you a verse. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what happens. Jonah has disobeyed God. You remember, he says, go to Nineveh and preach this gospel so that the people can be saved. Jonah considers all that the Ninevites have done to his family and, and history and their violent, horrible, torturous ways. And instead of saying no to God, <clears throat> he just turns and goes the other way, remember? And when he does, because God is a gracious and merciful God, he sent the word to him first because that's just how God operates. He'll graciously warn you and encourage you and invite you at first. But if you don't obey, he'll move to step two. Does anybody remember what step two for Jonah was? Huh? A little storm, right? And, and literally, the scripture in the Hebrew says God hurled a storm. Now, you can imagine, right? Hurricane Katrina in God's, in God's hand and him throwing it like a, like a fastball. Wow. And so Jonah, hard-headed as we are, says, just throw me overboard. I'd rather die. And so they do. They throw him overboard. And so God lovingly will take you to step two, but if you don't respond to step two, well, there's this other step that'll happen, right? And does anybody remember what happens to him next? Swallowed by a great fish. And so he goes into the great fish, and as he's in the great fish, can you imagine an hour in the stomach acid of a fish in the darkness and the depth of the sea? Uh, can you imagine that? Now, I want to just model for just a minute how hard-headed we can be. One day didn't do it. Two days didn't do it. Now, two days, 
If you shut me in a dark room for two days, I'd be ready to do anything you want me to do. I'm bored. I'm, conf I'm conf don't know what from down. I want to. He's in the he's in the belly of a fish. And it wasn't until the third day that he came to the end of himself. He described it this way. When my soul fainted within me. Sound like the end of yourself, doesn't it? Now, sometimes because we are hard-headed and it's not just you and it's not just me, it's all of us. We don't listen to God's warnings. We don't, we don't hear his, heed his encouragement, his invitations. And so we go on a ship toward Tarshish like Jonah and God sends a storm. We're like, I'm still not going to do it. I'm still not going to do it. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in a very bad spot. And our, listen, our soul faints within us. We think life's over. We, 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 we're at a place where we don't think we can make it. We don't think we can take another step. Maybe it's in a marriage relationship. Maybe it's in relationship with our finances. Maybe it's in relationship with our parents or, or, or our best friends. And we, we feel like, man, I can't go another step. So, so let me read the verse. Here's what he says in Jonah 2, 7. <clears throat> My soul, y'all reading along with me? My soul fainted within me. He, he said, I came to a place where I, I couldn't go one more breath. I couldn't go one more step. I, I, my, I was losing my mind. I thought I wanted to die. My soul fainted. And he says, and then I remember the Lord. Why would God, why would God, isn't that a mean God that would let a fish swallow up a man, take him down the depth of the sea, uh, keep him in the total darkness and stomach acid for three days? No, if he'd have changed his mind the first day, God would have spit him out then. If he'd responded when God said, go the first time, and not got on the ship to Tarshish and went there instead, he never would have faced the great fish. So oftentimes we like to blame God or other people, but oftentimes it's me and it's you, <clears throat> right? Um, being disobedient, and all of a sudden we find ourselves on that third day in the middle of a great... By the way, have you ever, can you relate to what Jonah's saying there? Anybody else ever found yourself in that moment? I have. And thinking, oh, what have I done? How am I going to make it out of this? And he said, isn't it beautiful, though, that Jonah remembered the Lord? And I want to encourage you tonight, if you find yourself there, if that's where you are tonight, I want you to remember. What do you mean remember the Lord? Remember that he loves you. And I want to say it to you like I've said it so many times before. He's not proving to you that he loves you now by your difficulty. No, no. He wants the difficulty to help you get to the end of yourself so that you will remember him. Because when you and I are living in our own street, we forget about him. And we say, I just got to try harder. I just got to adjust some things. I just got to manipulate a few things. And things will work out according to what I want them to. And then finally, we get to a place where we say, my soul, I've tried everything. My soul fades within me. Oh, yeah. There is a God. And he breathed out galaxies. And he loves me. And he said, call on me in your day of trouble. And I'll show you great and mighty things. And so I can call on him. Isn't that good news tonight? I'm thinking happy Valentine's right now as I'm preaching this, all right? <clears throat> so a difficulty leads to the end of our so, so Jonah said, I remember the Lord, and my prayer went up to him into your holy temple. And you know what he said to God? He said, I'll do what I vowed. <laughs> I've changed my mind. I can't do it my way. I'm going to do it your way. Let me give you another example of this coming to ourselves. right? Now, what's the purpose of God letting me go to such a deep, dark place so that I'll draw near to him? That's his desire. You see, it's love that motivates what God allows us to put ourselves in because the end result is his desires that what I find myself that I created will in fact cause me to come to the end of my own ability. And I'll make a quick U-turn and say, oh, I remember the Lord. God, I can't, you can. L listen to what happens in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. You remember there was a son in this parable, the parable of the loving father. And you might know it as a parable of the, of the, of the prodigal son, but it's really the parable of the, loving father. There were two sons. Why do we pick one? Another message for another day. Context is king, all right? So there's a loving father. There are two sons. One stays, one goes. The one goes, he says, I just want my money. I don't care about you. I don't care about your provision. I don't care about your rules. I just want the gift. I don't want the giver. I want the gift. Sound like anybody you know? I just want what you can give me. And so he gave it to him and he went away and lived a wasteful life and he found himself in want in a place of famine, and no one could meet his need. No one could meet his need, only the father. Remember that. And so he finds himself in a pig pen. Now, for a Jewish audience, you understand the story is about the worst place you could ever find yourself, and nobody will even feed him. He can't even eat the pods that he's feeding the pigs. 
And here's what he says. Reading with me. All right, Luke 15, 17. We're talking about difficulty. Leads us to the end of ourselves. Listen, go back to the text. Remember what's happened. Paul has surrendered his life to Jesus. He's preaching the gospel, and now he's been stoned to death. Okay? So there's difficulty, but why would God allow it? Well, we said go, it, it purifies our faith. Next, that we said it shapes our character to be more like Jesus. Then we said it leads us to the end of ourselves so that we will draw near to God. Listen to what happens in Luke 15, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, now, this next statement, I want to ask you, does it sound like what Jonah said? What was Jonah's next, next statement? I remembered the Lord. What did the prodigal son do? He remembered the Lord, the Father, the Lord. He remembered God. He remembered God is represented in the story by the Father. And so in his darkest hour, he remembered that there is a God who loves him. And what a, what a truth to guide us in the dark hours of our lives. Verse 17, he says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my fathers hired, fathers hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I perish with hunger. I've made, he's, he, can I put it in country, boy? I've made some stupid decisions, and boy, I've, I've got myself in a mess. But I've got a father who takes really good care of his servants. And so I'm just going to go back to him. And, and maybe you're here tonight and you feel like some decisions you've made led you to a dark place. I just want you to know you can come back to him. And if you've not ever come to him, can I tell you tonight, no matter where you've been or what you've done, listen to me, you can come to him tonight. He loves you. He, he, he knows you. He knows everything you've ever done. And there was, listen to me, there was never a day he started loving you. He just always has. So why not be the recipient of that love? Oh, I'm going to move on if I can, all right? So Roman numeral two. Well, we got a lot to cover still and a little bit of time to cover it. Y'all ready to go hyperspeed? Here we go. Roman numeral two, verse number 20, we need each other. So first we said, and this makes perfect logical sense, difficulties guaranteed. So that truth points to the next one. You see how it points right together? Because life is difficult, I need you. And because your life is difficult, you need me. But not just me, because there are a whole bunch of you, right? But look to the person to the left of you. Just look at them for a second. They look good, don't they? Just look at them. No, hold on, just look at them for a second. All right, look to the right of you. Just look at that person. Now look behind you. Can y'all spin all the way around? That's a trick. All right, now here's what I want you to get. Listen, you, everybody you laid your eyes on, you need them. You need them. And, and everybody that laid eyes on you, listen, needs you. And so what I want you to get is that we're not just coming to church, whatever that means. We're, we are supposed to be the church, right? And it's supposed to be a lifestyle of serving and doing together. Y'all tracking with me? Not just like one day a year. <laughs> we're supposed to be the church all the time. It's who we are. We don't disconnect from that. So watch what happens in verse number 20. What happens? They stone him, drag him out. You imagine uh, how far that is. They drag him at least a half a mile. <clears throat> Most of the time they would grab by the back of the feet and drag that old head be bouncing and his arms would be flailing and he's bleeding. He's a mess. They drag him out there and they leave him for dead. <clears throat> in verse number 20, however, I love the however. When the disciples, what'd they do? Gathered. I want to focus on that word for a minute. When they did what? Gathered. They gathered. So if you skip out, somebody's suffering. When they gathered, that means they came together. They gathered around him, okay? He rose up and he went into the city. Now, I want you to think for a minute about the history of the church. We've got a bad reputation for what I'll say, killing our wounded. Y'all, everybody okay? You, you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> Somebody has been wounded by maybe their own decisions. They've made some terrible decisions. Their heart is hurting because of what they've done. They've hurt others, and there's a mess. Y'all know we can make a mess of things real fast. Even when we're born again, we can make a mess, can't we? And there's hurt, and there's difficult things. And what oftentimes the church has a history of doing is to uh, avoid that person or not talk to them because of the sin that they've gotten involved in, as if... We live a sinless life, and we rank them. We say, this sin's worse than that sin, and we start putting up barriers. And now, I'm not talking about promoting sin. I'm not talking about coddling sin. I'm not talking about, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. But I'm talking about once a person has come to repentance, 
and they're in a place of, of woundedness, what we ought to do is circle around them and say, come on, let me show you the way. And, and love on them and call them up, right? Not, not beat them down, but call them up and help them walk the journey because, it, well, sometimes it'll be you. Sometimes it, it'll be me. And we need each other. So let me just kind of move on. How can we support one another? You ready? I'm going to mention three ways really quickly. Number one, we can pray for one another. <clears throat> Someone asked me one time, or, oh, have you ever heard anybody say this? Well, all I can do is pray for you. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous statement a human being could ever make. All I can do is pray for you. That's the best thing you can do for me. That's the most powerful thing you can do for a person is to pray. We think because we're humans, we think we can earn and deserve. So we think if I can do it with my two hands, that I've done something better for you. But the best thing I can do for you is pray for you. And then if there's some work to be done with my hands, I don't need to do one, leave the other off, you're right. So I need to pray. But then if there's something I can do to help you, then I need to do that if I can. So prayer, we can pray. Intercessory prayer specifically. You know the person we pray for the most? Ourselves. We pray for ourselves. Lord, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. And intercessory prayer means I'm praying on your behalf. Do you know how powerful intercessory prayer is? Moses went up top of Mount Sinai, remember? Got those Ten Commandments. Came down, the people made a golden calf. You remember? They melted their earrings. And, and remember Aaron, his brother, the leader? He asked him, what happened? Well, we just threw him in and it came out like a calf. It's the craziest thing. Right? It just accidentally happened. <clears throat> and God said to say, you remember this? When, when, when Moses was up on top of the mountain, God said to Moses, get out of the way. Now, that, that, that call, when I say that, every time I say that, no matter how many times over the years I've said that, it gives me chills on the back of my neck. I hope I never hear God say, get out of the way. He said, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all. Who's he talking about? Children of Israel. He made a proposition to Moses. I'm going to kill them all, and I'll start a nation of righteous people with you. Now, did God kill them all? No. Why did God not kill them all? Moses. Moses interceded in prayer, talking to God. He said, what will people say about your name? And Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd have been Moses, remember they'd been Moses trying to lead him and they're working against him and talking about him. And I'm always, okay, God, I sound like, let me think about that for a minute. Give me two days to think about it. Moses said, what are you going? And God did not kill them. Intercessory prayer is so much more than you and I ever really give it credit for. So you ought to spend time praying for people. And don't just pray like you're flipping a coin. Man, you're talking to the high king of heaven. And nothing is outside of possibility in his, in his power and dominion. So we need to pray. And the second thing is accountability. I, can't, I don't have time to elaborate on this. Accountability. That means we hold each other accountable, right? Now, this is not where we beat each other up or look down on each other or, or, or look down or, or hammer one another. But it's where we, be, listen, we build relationship first. Now, listen, you can't have accountability before you have relationship because what you'll say to a stranger is you're meddling huh who you think you are i don't know you you don't know me but when you develop relationship <clears throat> then listen to me then you get to know a person and you start saying okay well that guy eh, he's not really he he jokes about things and says things no he's not really who i want to just really model my life but this guy over here now he's he i've been around him we served at the church we served at the homeless we we've done how do you how do you get to know people here's the word i want you to write down somewhere this is a critical component of accountability you ready here it is fellowship you have to have fellowship why do churches eat together fellowship now for so long people have made jokes about that so all we ever do is eat together now we don't do that because we don't have a big kitchen and all that stuff but you understand right we do, there's purpose to that. Why do we get to, why do we have a crawfish bowl every year? Why do we do those things? To promote fellowship. Now, <clears throat> would you agree with me that it's been hard with our building situations to do any fellowshipping here on Sunday? Yeah, because you got a group in here. I'm trying to preach fast as I can. Hug, hug 600 people, right? Get them out that door <laughs> so that the other 700 can come in. And, it's, and you're out there packed in like sardines sometimes, especially when the preacher preaches long. So we want, we, we've been a little more intentional with what we've done, if you notice. This area out here is going to be a welcome area. going to be some places to sit down out here. What's that for? In between services and things, I hope and pray. That's what I've been praying over them every day. There'll be some conversations had out here where people start to get to know each other. There has to be a first point of contact. 
this corner room. I don't know if you've seen it or not. When you're going out today, notice there's an area that's framed that has no door. And it's open on the other side. There'll be an exit right there, and you'll be able to go in there. And that's going to be called the connect corner. And there's going to be some couches and things in there for you to be able to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody. Now, not during preaching. Okay? But other times in between and before, so you can get to know some people. I'm begging you, be intentional. Don't just connect with the people that you already know. There's some people that are coming, they don't know anybody. And they're hurting. And we are better together. Okay, I don't know. The Lord just put that on my heart. So fellowship that leads to accountability, okay? Now I'm going to move on. And then, and then the third one is, and this one doesn't cost you a dime, encouragement. Just encourage, you know, say, hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, I see that you, you know, one thing that kept me gathering with the church when I was growing up, most of my family didn't come, was because there were two guys that sat at the back, Wayne Sojourner and Brother Cassaberry at Harmony Baptist Church. I'm 15, 14 years old, coming in there. All my family's at home. <clears throat> Nobody's coming to church. They beeped a horn. I'm half asleep coming out, you know. And the reason, a lot of times I went was not because I wanted to hear the word or not because of this or that, was, but was because those two men would call my name. Grown men. I was a, I was a boy. They said, hey, Terry, look me in the eye. Shake my hand. Well, man, we're so glad you're here. And that little, it didn't cost them nothing. They didn't buy me a card or take me out to eat. They just called my name and noticed me. <clears throat> and that made me step over my sisters that were sleeping soundly on Sunday morning to get into a car with another family to go and hear the word of God and the work he did in my heart. But it was because someone encouraged me. I want to challenge you. Be an encourager. Find somebody, not, not just on Sundays, right? I'm talking about every day of your life. But specifically when we come together, Find some people to encourage. Look them in the eye and call them up, man, and see what God will do in their life and your life in relationship. Okay, encouragement. I got to move on. We're not going to finish this thing, are we? We're about out of time. Roman numeral three. We, we, we can't get out of here and not finish. Some of y'all got empty blanks that you'll pass out if we don't fill them in. All right, Roman numeral three, quickly. In verse 21 to 23, write this down. Together we live the mission. Together we live the mission. What happens next? <clears throat> because they come around him and, and, and pick him up, he goes back and he preaches the gospel. But then he leaves there and goes to other places. And what you'll find in those next verses is that he encourages the saints to keep going in the faith. Now, wasn't that crazy? The very thing that I believe that group of disciples did when they gathered around him, I know it's not written in the text, but there's a reason he told us that they all gathered around him. And I believe some of them said, come on, Paul. Come on, you can do it. I know you're hurting. Man, I know, listen, I know, it, I know it's bad, but listen, we're going to help you. Come on, let's, l listen, put your arm around my neck. I'm going to help you sit up. Huh? I, I believe with all my heart somebody had a rag, and they, you know, they used to use oil or, or wine to, to, to touch wounds and to clean. I believe one of them probably had something. They started just kind of wiping off, saying, look, Paul, I'm just going to touch this because you got some dirt in there, and we got to try to get that out. But listen, I'm going to do it gently. Just sit up here and get you a sip of this water. I know you're, I know you're thirsty and tired, but come on. Come on, the gospel is too important for us to stop now. Come on, Paul, let's get up to, think you can get up to your feet. I don't know, man. Come on, come on. Three or four, I can see three or four. I'm getting up underneath him and propping him up on his lean inside. And I'm saying there's some people in this gathering that need you to prop them up on their lean inside. To say, come on, you can keep going. You can. It's not over. You're on the sixth lap on the seventh day and the Jericho wall is about to come down. Come on, let's march together. Let's march together. Get up. Come on, we're going to keep going. You can share the gospel tomorrow. Hey, there's some people in here, and y'all work beside each other. And I believe some of you are going to go to the other one and say, all right, now, we've been challenged. Let's be obedient today. I'm going to come back at lunch, and let's talk about who we've shared Jesus with. Together. We'll never do it alone. But together, something altogether different. So Paul goes and lives the mission. He Number one, he's preaching and sharing the gospel, right? That's the first blank there in verse 21. He's preaching and sharing everywhere he goes. In verse 22, y'all got to write quick, okay? Verse 22, he's strengthening and challenging the believers. Why is Paul doing that? Because they got him up off the ground. There's some folk on the ground, and they need you to help get them up, right? So they can keep going. And third thing we see him doing, they're doing this with prayer and fasting. And so you and I ought to be incorporating those in our lives. And then, and then closing in verses 26 to 28, what happens is, in verse 26 to 28, it says, From there they sailed to Antioch. I'm in verse 26. They committed to the grace of God for the work which they had completed when they had come and gathered the church together. 
Okay, listen, they reported all that God had done with them. Do y'all remember a couple of Sunday nights ago when a report was given? Anybody remember who gave it? Come on, all together who? Brian, a student pastor, he, he gave a report. Uh, anybody remember what the report was about? Mission trip to Ethiopia. A mission trip that you were involved in, even though you didn't go, because one of your family members went over, and you were praying, and you gave. And so you were a part of the fruit that came from that trip, right? Now, why did he do that? Why, why in the world? So, somebody used to tell me, now, those mission reports that they used to do in the church, you don't need to do that, because if people find out you're doing that, they won't come. Why do we do it? Because it's biblical. What'd they do? They got the people together, and what'd they do? Gave a report. Hey, everybody, get together. We're going to tell you about what God did through us at this particular assignment. And it encouraged, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I was encouraged by what Brian shared. Now, I was a little bit heartbroken because I was supposed to be there, you know, without this little fall that I had. But I was so encouraged by what God did through Brian and through the team, weren't you? And all that, some of you are like, oh, I don't remember that. Encourage you to come on Sunday nights. Very important if you can. And so he reported, and I was, I mean, I was strengthened, and I was, I felt energized by it. Why? Because when we're better together, here's what I want you to write in that final blanks, we're better together through shared testimony. Nothing fires me up more than somebody come testify and give me a testimony of what God's doing in their life, how he's using them, what they're doing. I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about bragging. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about I did this and I did that. I just like to hear somebody talk about, man, let me show you the difference in what, how I used to think about this and how I think now. I love hearing testimonies about what God's done in people's lives. It fires me. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather hear that than a bunch of complainers fussing about purple shag carpet. <laughs> right? I don't like the color of the walls. I don't like the, I don't like the. Well, it's good because this isn't for you. We're just making a place comfortable. We can come in out of the rain, and it's really all about him. And so, listen, um, share your testimony. Tell people about what God's doing in your life. Don't hold it in. Don't hold it in. Let me conclude with a prayer. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? With heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Once you get everything situated... <clears throat> I'm going to ask our media team to put Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 on the overhead, but I want you to stay in a spirit of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. And I want you to ask the Lord for just a minute to help you understand how important you are to the gathering. The fact that he saved me and you and called us to come apart from the world to be his own special people that our lives would glorify him, that we'd be led by the spirit, instructed and nourished by the word and challenged and encouraged by the church. Now, as we're praying, I want you just to look up and let's read these verses together, okay? Just read with me. And let us, y'all reading, just read with me where you are. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let's read that part again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're better together. Now, you know, in the, listen to me. Did you know that in the Greek language, that word not forsaking is literally the word abandon? So I want to say this to you. Don't abandon me. And that person that you looked at to the left of you, don't abandon them. And the person that you looked at to your right, don't abandon them. Don't leave them all alone. The person behind you, don't abandon them. And all the children that are coming, man, oh, the, the amount of children God is blessing us with for the next generation is unbelievable. Don't abandon them by going to a deer stand. Don't abandon them by, by finding some trivial thing to get involved with on Sundays and, and Wednesdays. But don't abandon the gathering when we have opportunities to serve. Don't, don't leave us to ourselves. Come on, be a part. We're better together. Don't abandon us. You know, it'd be a sad thing, wouldn't it, that we'd get to heaven and stand before the master and give an account for while we abandoned his wife, the bride of Christ, the church. Oh, may you and I be committed to serving his church and serving through his church. Let me invite you to bow your head for just a moment, okay? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd have a 
just have an absolute spell going through our hearts and minds right now. Lord, that we'd be challenged and encouraged, not beat down, but called up. Father, that we'd hear today that we really are better together and everybody's important. Everybody's important. And that we treat people accordingly. And that we'd be intentional about reaching outside of our friend groups. We'd be intentional about serving you. We'd be intentional about gathering with your people. We'd be intentional about embracing difficulty, understanding it's part of the race. But instead of letting it make us bitter, make us better. Instead of drawing us away from you, may we allow it to draw us near to you. Now, Lord, would you take this time of response and may your Holy Spirit have freedom to move in every single heart in this room and even that are listening outside of here. Father, I pray those would come to the altar. I pray somebody might be born again, that they would trust Jesus' death on the cross as the only means of making us right with you and trust in his resurrection in such a way we'd be willing to forfeit the throne of our heart, evacuate it in repentance, and invite Jesus Christ to come and be Lord. Father, save to the utmost tonight. Mend hearts and draw people near. Encourage that person who felt tonight like they came in just hanging on by a thread. They're reminded we're better together, and they're very important and loved by you. Father, move, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.